Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Hi, guys. First off, a public service announcement. We have been to the second-generation Toyota GR86 launch. We cannot yet discuss it in any detail. (laughs) We'd love to, but there are videos, plural, coming. And we did drive it on track and on the street. And thanks to Toyota USA for the invitation. We're thrilled to share that. And there will be much talk, but in the future, not right now. That's true. That's true. What is going on right now is Utah meetup signups are going on this minute, and there is space available we have a few people that can still come. Uh, we, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be greatest hits roads in Utah. Actually, it's some of what I just did with my son in the Lotus. Yeah, right. We're doing again. Right. And that is actually kind of further refined the trip. It's going to be amazing. So if you have any interest, you can be with us middle of September. Go to our website. You can find it under the Adventures tab there. You can find the Utah Meetup. There is still space available. It is a all-inclusive trip. It's kind of like the U.S. pilgrimage. It's going to be really, really fun. Yeah. Hey, while you're there... As of this recording, don't forget to enter our cheap sports car raffle. That's true. We're near the end of this entire series, Mm -hmm. and we are raffling them off. All the details are on the website, and it gives you the link right up top. So Mm -hmm. go to everydaydriver.com, and you can find information about the meetup and then the cheap sports car raffle, and you can enter to win one of these things. They're still running, so we've got to give them away. We are, yeah. The tops don't work, but right. Yeah, you know, so... But it's but that's okay. That's solvable. It is solvable. Nothing money can't solve, as my dad would always say. Guys, welcome back to the podcast. Happy Friday. We're thrilled to be with you. We are back from this Toyota 86 launch, and we've got a couple of great debates for Mm -hmm. you. But first, I do want to thank our TV sponsors. The TV season nine is now going to be repeating. All those new episodes are going to repeat. Huge thanks to our sponsors, Haggerty, Griot's Garage, Covercraft, and Auto Tempest. We couldn't bring these episodes to you without their assistance. So support them as they continue to invest in the car community and car enthusiasts. You can support Griot's using the code EDRIVER at checkout. You get 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else. And Covercraft, use the code EVERYDAY21, and you can get a discount there as well. Moving on to a little piece of news from the prior challenge. We got an update from Ryan S, <laughs> yes. who won the Maserati. Mm-hmm. I've been wondering, everybody else has been wondering, and he finally gave us an update. Yeah. Ryan, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. He was able to road trip this Maserati home to Albuquerque through some of the beautiful parts of the country. He says it made it 600 miles home, barely. <laughs> <laughs> During the 10-hour drive, he says he learned a lot about the car's wow factor, and he says its nuances. <laughs> that's a subtle way to put that. That's, that's very kind. Good job, Ryan. Well done. It threw various warning lights, mm-hmm. including a critical engine system failure, go-to-the-dealer light about two hours from home in the most remote part of New Mexico, but he made it. He says the car's impressive style, materials, power, and luxury are things he had never experienced. But then he experienced the Italian car owner experience. (laughs) He replaced a fuse, which promptly burned the main computer, thereby bricking the car in his garage. And so he was faced with an uncomfortable decision. Mm -hmm. First, get the car to Arizona to the Phoenix Ferrari dealer for the dealer-only repair. That sounds cheap. (laughs) That sounds, yeah. Uh, It sounds like more than what you paid for the car originally, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Or say goodbye. 
But he says ultimately due to COVID work restrictions, limiting his out-of-state travel, and admittedly his minister of finance's reluctance to throw (laughs) an unknown amount of money at an exotic car, he sold it. Hmm. But he says... He was disappointed he didn't have the stones to see it through and experience the car more thoroughly, Mm. but he decided he would take the money from selling the car and only spend it on car experiences. That's interesting. Which is great. Yeah. So selling it a few months ago, he bought tools and parts to get experience wrenching on his cars, Okay. but then he got new tires for his new to him 2003 Boxster. He did some great drives around New Mexico, and he got a sim racing setup so he can learn more about performance driving and drive virtually with his dad, who lives across the country, who also has the car disease. That's cool. Well, I mean, great Use driving comes out of that experience. and invested in more driving and tools. That is actually very cool. I, I, yes. I still would like to know, Ryan, do you have contact with the person that bought it? We still can, like to know where it went. Can they update <laughs> us on when it's running and how it's running? Because I'd be yeah. very curious. To know. But that's a great update, Ryan. Thanks for that. Some great debates all about speed. First of all, from Chris F. in Austin, Texas, who has a Generation 2 Viper on his mind. Mm, that doesn't come up much. Wow. Chris currently has a 2014 CTSV Coupe manual that he's owned for five years, but other than at initial honeymoon phase of, I have one of these, <laughs> he's never truly loved it. Okay. He says it's a great car, and he still thinks the best car he could afford with a budget of $55,000 five years ago and a mandate from his wife that his car seats four people. It was a battle he says he couldn't win, and you know we know how that goes. Happy wife. It has 51,000 miles on it currently. 42,000 have been with Chris behind the wheel, mm. and he chose it because his thinking was he could enjoy stupid power every day, even in traffic. Sure, yeah. Lurid burnouts and power slides. Yes, why says. not? Sure. And he stands by this, he says, at least for now. The thing is, it's such an insulated car, and the stability control is so good, it's boring when he tries to hustle it through Austin Hill Country. Interesting. Okay. So he's frustrated with its mass in the sharp corners or, or lulled to sleep in the sweepers until he's at deadly speeds, which means he can never really ring it out. Mm. He admits to a rather high speed. Very on high speed. Run yeah. through Twisted Sisters, and he says the only thing that got his blood flowing was the chance he could go to jail if a cop <laughs> crested the hill in the distance. So he's excited because he might get in trouble, but not because the car excited him. <laughs> jail That's time crazy. is the only thing that excites you now. Do I need to change the Daily Triple shirt to be like jail time or something <laughs> like that? So. that? There you go. His car ownership includes a 91 Nissan 300ZX 2 Plus 2 in red from mm. 1996, his first car at 14. Wow. Okay. All right. He says he's restoring it a little bit with modern suspension, currently has 135,000 miles. He might turbo swap it and make it his daily. He also has had a 1988 mm. Jeep Grand Cherokee 5.9. He says this would do mid-13 second quarter miles with bolt-on modifications. Good grief. He raced a Ferrari Testarossa in Tulsa. And made 200 bucks when he smoked him. I mean, that's got to be satisfying in a Jeep. Wow. <laughs> what was going on in that Ferrari? I, I want to hear the other side of that story. He's had a Mitsubishi 3000 GT VR4 in pearl white with a manual. He got this car because he was going to college in Oklahoma. He wanted an all-year sports car. It was ridiculously fast, and he had fun surprising people at stoplights. He's also had a Jaguar S-Type R from 2008 mm. in British Racing Green. He liked it, but it was, again, too big and heavy on tight roads. Mm-hmm. But he says he spent $8,000 on maintenance during his two years of ownership. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's I mean, mm. that is essentially every reason people don't want to buy one of those cars. That's pretty much Absolutely. right there. Yeah. He's also had a 2011 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland in white. <clears throat> 
1996 Chevy Corvette Collector Edition with the manual transmission. He says he wanted a Grand Sport, but he he just got the Collector Edition. He says this was an awful car. Interesting. There's there's like two personalities of his experience with this car, though. When you say you measured flex, Chris, you measured an inch and a half of flex at the top of the windshield. Does that mean a, a side to side flex? Is that it's not necessarily an up and down? Were you sitting there with motion. a tape measure? How did how, and you're I driving, know how you measured it? That's what I want to know. Yeah. But he said it had huge tires that were hockey pucks when cold, but glue when warm, of mm-hmm. course. Dynoed at 417 wheel horsepower, and the limits were so high, the car was so raw, it was borderline scary at speed. See, this is interesting. Especially he, with jail time looming. Yeah, I mean, he says that his problem with it was that with the Targa off, he felt like it was borderline undrivable because of the flex. Then he talks about the tires are fantastic in the right conditions. And then he talks about the fact that the limits were so high, it was borderline scary. So I think it's interesting because he's wanting something that scares him. But yet here's a car that did, and it was kind of a car he felt was unusable. So there's an interesting mix going on here. He's also got that aforementioned CTSV Coupe. He Mm -hmm. describes the car as the ballerina hippos in Fantasia. That's a great description, by the way. That's a good analogy. He also has a 2019 Alfa Romeo Stelvio Ti Lusso. He loves it as a daily. Mm. He and his wife share this car currently, but he says he likes the quick steering ratio. The mm-hmm. chassis is playful. He doesn't like the brakes too much. I can't blame you. That it's is the the, yeah. the drive by brake brake by, by wire. Yeah, yeah, the, the brake by wire. Yeah. But he says after all this, he thinks he wants a car that wants to kill him. <laughs> Okay. What? Okay. Okay. All right. What? We're going to have to circle back here because there's there's some, some conflicting stuff going on, but keep going. Because even at slow speeds, it, it needs to be exhilarating, apparently, mm-hmm. which brings him to this Generation 2 Viper GTS. Not just any Viper, mm-hmm. specifically a Hennessy Venom 600 with 602 wheel horsepower. What? That's a lot. That's a lot. He yeah. says, don't get me wrong, he thinks a perfect car would be an Evora with an LS7 swap or a Voodoo engine, but that doesn't exist. So he's open to suggestions with a budget of $75,000 stretched to 90 for the right car. Hmm. He does want to clarify that this Stelvio is their family car. And he says, though his wife predominantly drove it prior to COVID, they share it now. Mm -hmm. They both work from home. And so he has to go into the office once a week, 14 miles of highway and 15 minute commute without traffic or a 35, 30 to 45 minute commute with traffic. Yeah. So he doesn't need a daily driver because the Stelvio covers both of this for them. Sure, sure. And whatever he gets will be fine for the times they're separately. And, and you know, they need two cars mm-hmm. because the, the Z, I get the idea, it just kind of sits for the most part. Well, yes, but then here's the twist, though. He has gotten to a situation where when he goes on fun drives, he has to talk himself into taking the Cadillac. Because he realizes yeah. that the levels are so high on that. He's obviously yeah. not going to take the Stealth. He wants to take a fun car. The levels are so high on, on the V, the CTSV, that he takes his Z car, his Z32. And I remember, it's a 1996 non-turbo. Right. He takes right. it because he realizes when he gets down to actual back roads, that's the more fun experience because he's having to ring it out a bit. One of Chris's thoughts with the Viper that it would replace the Z32 as his forever car once it's paid off, and then he'd get a supercharged V6 F-Type convertible or a V6 Camaro convertible because they sound great. But he thinks he wants something that is so raw and exciting at low speeds he enjoys it, but fast enough for smoky drifts through his office parking garages and on-ramps. Maybe. Wow. <laughs> there's there's so much going on here, Chris, and I, I, I feel like you're having a Jekyll and Hyde moment and don't even realize it. 
Mm, because sure. there's stuff I read in your email here that I feel like contradicts other stuff. Okay. The big thing that I, that I take away from this is that you want something that when you're going slowly, it's exciting. Yeah, for sure. And what's interesting about that is most of the cars with big power aren't that. Agreed. Most of the big power cars I've ever come across, ever driven, ever been anywhere close to, at slow speeds, they're almost boring. They are boring. Absolutely. Some of them are absolutely boring, and some of them are just like, oh, I see how this could be fun, but right now I just feel like I'm just, you're holding this monster back with a leash and just going, well, okay, maybe this gets fun later. Mm -hmm. I I understand that you think the Viper, the Gen 2 Viper is going to solve this. And, And just a side note here. Very cool. Very raw. I, I see where why you're gravitating. <laughs> Fantasy Viper. Uh, yes. Not just why, any old run-of-the-mill well, Gen 2 but Viper. But I'm just going Gen 2 Viper, period. I see why you're leaning that way. Yeah. However, I jump back up to your experience owning a Corvette, mm-hmm. the 96 Corvette. Mm-hmm. And your comment there was that the levels, the, the limits of it were so high that it was beyond you and the car was borderline scary at speed. And that was a yeah. 420 wheel horsepower Corvette. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so I, a 602 horsepower. Yes, Viper, Viper, which is known to be more more aggressive anyway. I, I think I could be wrong. I think the Viper is going to be one of those things that you're going to have it for a month, and the oh wow, I really have one newness is going to be gone, and you're going to be right back to where you were with that Corvette. Funny enough, I agree. And Chris, you've heard me talk about power. I think power settles a car, the right amount of power. I don't like underpowered cars, but I also don't like overpowered cars. Mm-hmm. And Todd and I continually hear about things, you know, oh, it's going to do this 10 second quarter mile, or it's going to, you know, have 800 horsepower, whatever. And neither of us care. Yeah. Because what do you do with it? Yeah. Where do you use it except mm-hmm. to brag that yes. you have all this power? Yes. I love power again, but there's a sweet spot. I'm continuing to refine my, mm-hmm. my own needs and wants. What, what that means for me, mm-hmm. because in a Cayman 340 horsepower, that's a lot. That's great. I yeah. really like yeah, that yeah. power. You know, 400 is like, okay. Uh, yes. 500 is astonishing beyond that. We're where you are. Mm-hmm. You have to go so fast that <laughs> you're, you're offering, you're opening up, a lot of issues, potential issues at, the, at those speeds just to get the adrenaline going. And, and you're a guy that has already stated that you, you don't want to be up that high for it to be fun. Yeah. And once you get to those upper levels, you kind of feel like that's when it's not fun now. It just it, it got informative and you got the rawness and the excitement that you wanted, but now it also got scary. Mm-hmm. For I, everybody I am, around you. I am worried that the Viper is going to check all of the wrong boxes you've already experienced. The difference is you now have a Viper. And if you sell your Z car to get that car, I think you're going to regret selling your Z. I agree. And I also don't think you should dump a bunch of money into it because you said the Z is broken more than it's running. Mm. His only real problem is that he wishes it had 350 or 400 horsepower, which means he'd turbo swap it, but he's not sure he wants to dump 20 grand into something only worth about seven. Yeah. Yeah. The he's old- been struggling for 10 years with this issue. There's, Chris, a lot, there's a lot here. I agree with you. It's time to add an event car. Mm-hmm. And you might think that that Gen 2 Viper is an event car, and it is. 
but I don't see too many vipers at tracks. I see them at car shows. Mm-hmm. I don't see vipers. I mean, outside of Texas, I suppose on the flying mile, but you don't really see vipers as the, the go-to track kind of, you or, know, or even a Canyon car or a can. Yeah. You don't see that very much. From a power standpoint, I would say a Hellcat anything seems like an obvious choice, but that just continues to push us, I think, in the wrong direction for you. I think you need a raw, unfiltered feeling rather than power. I completely agree with you. I'm very curious what your list is because I'm right there with you. It's time to go deconstructed. Mm. I think it's time to go small and lightweight because at that point, yes, 200, 300 horsepower feels like magic. It mm-hmm. feels like a lot. It's funny. You and I, you and I actually looked at this email and have wound up down the similar pathway. I'm very curious to hear where you went. I mean, Chris has an astonishing budget to go solve this yes, issue. He, does. he doesn't and, have to use it and all. He's, but that's the other thing about it. He's had good, powerful car yes. experience. Yes. Keep going. Keep going. If I were to suggest a Porsche for you, I would suggest a Cayman R. But that car, I think, isn't raw enough for you mm, to get the excitement and the buzz you're looking for. Our mid-engines and mountains trip, we drove mm-hmm. three cars, mm-hmm. a Cayman and an Alpha 4C mm-hmm. and an Elise. Mm-hmm. I think the Elise is now approaching the raw kind of feel that you're looking for or that I'm suggesting, but I don't know that the comfort in commute is there for you. An Alpha 4C is interesting, raw, maybe because we're not tracking the car. I think maybe that could be a consideration. Yeah, I would love to suggest a Lotus Esprit Turbo V8, mm, they're $35,000, but you also need it to run. I don't mm-hmm. want you to have another project car. You already have one of those that yeah, yeah. we're not dealing with right now. So I will say, you already since you already have that Stelvio, and that's the car that just does the errands, you share it, it. Yep. Yep. the reliable car, when, it, when you need a car, you just hop in that and you go. In 1957, Chris, Whoa. Colin Chapman invented a car, and he called it Fit for Purpose. And it was the Lotus 7. Okay. In 1973, a company called Caterham acquired the rights to build that car. It acquired the rights mm-hmm. from Colin Chapman. Mm-hmm. They're still in business. They still sell cars. And they're reliable because they have a Ford Sigma or the Duratec 2-liter engine in them. And you can get those with what doesn't seem like a lot of power in numbers, but they're so light they are very quick right. and powerful. So we've gone the other way. Yeah. 210 horsepower. Sounds like nothing, mm-hmm. but in a tiny little sequential gearbox, 1500 pound car, 1500 pound car, the equation has now swapped. We're not mm-hmm. going heavy mm-hmm. car with monster horsepower. We're going light car with good horsepower, enough power to settle the car and still move it. You'll be going very fast. Very you can quickly. still go those same kind of speeds, yeah, but what yeah. that'll do is lower speeds will introduce more excitement. It'll introduce Absolutely. the excitement yes, yes, earlier yes. in the driving experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think you need a helmet while driving your car. I think this is the car you need in your life. Okay. You need to buy a helmet. Okay. I'm giving you a reason to go buy a motorcycle helmet, have it custom painted, and wear it while driving your car. I love it. Hillbank USA currently has one for sale, as does Rocky Mountain Caterham. This Hillbank car, it's $104,000. It's currently titled in Florida as a 1990, but it's in Riviera Blue. With the orange stripe down the center, the single sure, orange stripe. Sure, sure, yeah. And it has a roll cage, and you're going to need a helmet. Now, I'm blowing out your budget to do this. You are, but I see where you're going. But this is the event car. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to jump in this thing. This is his fun car anyway. It's just for yes. fun. The road is almost next to your head <laughs> in this car. 
You are very low and it's very tight. Yes. A Viper GTS, a big Cadillac. The road is counties away from your head. Mm. It's not close. You don't have that sensation of speed. In a Caterham, 40 miles an hour, you're going to be like, wow, I'm going fast. 40? Well, but 40. You're, and you're also, you're watching something you can't do in almost any other car out there. You're watching the wheels bounce. You yes. can see the wheels. You can watch where the wheels you're turn. the articulation. It's amazing. There's involvement there. Yeah, there is. You're watching everything. You're doing the sequential shifting mm. and you're watching the suspension articulate and you're watching your wheels turn. You, you do some input and you can watch almost the entire steering linkage. And the exhaust is right there and the road is yeah. in your vision. Yeah, it's it is. It's in your peripheral vision as you're driving. That's cool. I hadn't gone there. That's a really good one. It's the most raw thing and opposite of what I think you're looking for. And should you maybe be over it at some point, I believe you could still sell it for almost what it's worth. Probably, yep. But I think you'll just love it so much because, again, you want to be insulated and just, we're just going to dinner. Just take the Stelvio. Of course. Go to dinner. But this is just for fun. This is just for fun. Yeah. And because you're sharing that Stelvio, it seems like you can get all your all of your needs mm-hmm. met that mm-hmm. you just need a car for. Yeah. And this is the event car. But what's great about it is it's not going to be intimidating. It's not going to be like, wow, heck, taking the Viper out. I've got to really set a new record today to mm-hmm. you know, get mm-hmm. past the last Saturday that I got. And you're just introducing more complexity and danger into your life to do it. This at 60 miles an hour. You're going to be screaming in your helmet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This thing is so unfiltered. Yeah. 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 Is it more raw than an Elise? I think so. And therefore it it throws out my argument of being comfortable for a commute. But on the other hand, when you walk into the office wearing a motorcycle helmet, the people think you're into biking like, nope, got to see my car. But if it's just for fun, if it's just for fun, that's impressive. What I like about this is you and I, Paul, went exactly down the same pathway. We got different cars. We went exactly on the same pathway. And Chris, I'm going to reiterate again. I'm not sure about selling your Z. The fact that it's an ongoing project makes me say sell it. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it is a car that is all the way back to when you were 14 and it's the car you said you judge all other cars by. I'm worried about you getting rid of it yeah. and then wishing yeah. you still had it. So that one's that one's on the bubble let's for just me. Not, let's just leave that alone. Yeah. But I do think that buying something else that you want to have be raw and crazy powerful, you're going to wind up in a variation of where you've already been. Mm-hmm. So just like Paul's saying, I think you want smaller, lighter cars. I didn't actually go as raw as Paul did. But now that Paul's gone there, I'm going to say <laughs> an alt to the Caterham is the Ariel Atom. Also in your budget. Also needing a helmet. And also has like, it's got like spider web structure. You can look through to the pedals when you're not in the car or look out from the pedals when you are. You will get so, mud on your pants. <laughs> That's excellent. That there is we, gonna this, this is how we're shopping today. We got mud on the pants. I went through puddles, honey, and look what happened. I like this. I had a good day. That's look, really good. Laundry but, needs but, to be done. But the key thing here is the fact that it needs to be fun slow. Yeah. And nothing does that better than a light car. Correct. Yeah. Power. This is why the Miata is so awesome. Mm -hmm. Because at 20 miles an hour, a Miata is fun. Yeah. At 20 miles an hour, a 600 horsepower, whatever, is boring. It's not even warmed up. It, it's it barely running. Yeah. And, And so what's crazy is that Miata at 100 miles an hour, still very fun. Yeah. But you bring it back down to 20 and you do you do a 10 mile an hour corner at 15 and you're like that was amazing. <laughs> in a Miata. In right, a big right. boat with 700 horsepower you're like, well, we got through that one. We sure. we're all still here, okay? <laughs> yeah. You know? So, 
I didn't go quite as raw as Paul, but I'm down the same vein. You could get yourself with like half your budget, somebody else's properly sorted Porsche 944 Turbo. I like that a lot. They're so tiny. They're and, tiny and oh, raw, and the great. turbo is wonderful. And, and now you've bought yourself an older car that is raw, that is just for fun, by somebody else has sorted it. I'm not having you buy so a project. So it just fires right up when just, you need it. This is my 944. Yeah. It's sorted. I'm ready to sell it. Yeah. Done. 944 turbo. I did think, like you did, Paul, Cayman R, but I think the better one is actually the Boxster Spider. if this okay. is enough of a fun car that he can deal with the fact that it doesn't ever actually have a real top. But if you're only True. driving for fun and you're picking good days, Boxster Spider is awesome. Are right. you thinking the 2011 era? Yes, Spider? the, the 987, okay. the early one. Okay, the, the, that's like 2,800 pounds. Yeah. We it's drove so one. Good. We drove one a while back for our original channel. And you know what? Look, I'm not even the Porsche guy of the two of us. I think over time, I think I've come to the place where if I were to buy a Porsche tomorrow and you said buy any Porsche at normal prices, it would be Boxster Spider first. Would it? Yeah. I just I, I really like what that car does. So Boxster Spider's on there. Yes to both Lotus Elise or Lotus Exige. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because now the Elise allows you to take the target top off. The Exige is going to have no rear view visibility, but it's going to have big superchargers and a lot more whining and growling and angriness. Either one of those cars, I feel it every time. I've had my car for four years. When I drive it down my block to get on a real road, I'm already smiling. <laughs> yeah, I've just I've, I've gotten out of the driveway. I've barely gone anywhere. I'm just like, this car is so cool. Yeah. So look at yeah. the Lotus Elise. My last one for you, and the only one that if you find a good one of this, I give you permission to sell your Z car. Wow. First gen NSX. Wow. They're getting expensive, but he does have a healthy budget. He's got enough so budget to get one. First gen absolutely NSX right. is that same era as his Z car, and it's so good. And it's it, and it's not powerful. It's not, yeah, yeah. but it's plenty powerful enough, and it has such great inputs that you'd love it. And you could take that car to the office on a random day Easy. in a way that some of these other cars you might not want to take to the office. But the first gen NSX, you could take it to go get groceries, but then you would cackle at that car at 50 miles an hour yeah. because it's light and involving. I think that's what you need, Chris. The big power, I think, is the wrong choice. I agree. Chris, I'm talking myself into a caterham. I, I want this <laughs> Riviera blue car. It's it's the 620R. It's got Ford Duratech. Oh my gosh. I I want a reason to go have a helmet designed and painted. I mean, that just sounds like a cool, fun new project to go with the new car. Oh, I'll go you one further. Our friend Color Cartel is based in Austin. Reach out Here to him and have him do helmet. He does yes. phenomenal helmet stuff. Shout Even out to him better. right now. Yes. Have him He's design in and paint your helmet. Yes. He does for racers around yeah, the country. It's really good stuff. This is it. Chris, write to us. We'll hook you up. And let us know what you get. Okay, you're just getting a helmet regardless of the car that you get, right? Just just have them design your helmet. Summertime's here, and that means it is car wash season. And my friend Paul tells me I'm always supposed to wash a car in a cool, shady spot. I don't always do that well. But I do use the Brilliant Finish Foaming Sprayer, or actually I use the Boss Foam Cannon, from Griot's Garage. You have to use this. It's awesome. If you're a person like me who's not good at this, it makes it far easier. You create a high foam blizzard right in your driveway with little to no work, which I really like. You avoid wash-induced scratches. It is the safest way to wash your car. Try the Griot's Garage Foaming System complete kit today and see what the foam is all about. Griot's also has a full ceramic family of products, including Speed Shine, Wash and Coat, and 3-in-1 Wax. All Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all liquid products are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. 
That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Alex writes to us with our second debate. He's tired of being slow. Everybody's tired of being slow. His his description (laughs) is he has a 2001 Mazda Miata. He's had it for seven years, and he likes it. And every other car he's had, I mean, it's lucky to make past a year of ownership. He's had this one for seven. That tells you how much he likes it. That speaks highly, yeah. He's just realizing that, and I think it's not the Miata being slow. I think it's the fact that random everyday cars have just gotten quicker. So his 2001, think about this for a second. His 2001 Miata is a 20-year-old car. Mm -hmm. Over 20 years, random cars have gotten quicker to the point that he said in the last year or so, it realizes him that it really bugs him that the Honda Odyssey at the light next to him is going to beat him (laughs) without even trying. That person's probably on their phone and drinking coffee right now. They'll still beat him from the light. And so that's that's got him struggling. He also has a, a 2014 Mazda 3 that's his daily, but he's struggling with, I would just like to be faster. (laughs) <laughs> well, his past vehicles include a 95 Acura Integra as his first car he owned for 11 months, then a 1999 Nissan Sentra he owned for two months because he hated it, then back to the Integra, a 1994, lasted for about a year, but he says the Type R, or rust, weight reduction was getting too bad. <laughs> weight reduction <laughs> is a great term for rust. I like that. That's very good. While he's owned his Miata, he's had a 1990 Volkswagen GLI he only sold due to an injury. He had expensive medical bills, but then he moved on to a 1999 Lexus LS 400 and then a 1989 Volkswagen Jetta diesel non-turbo, slow and annoying, but great on gas. <laughs> That's quite the mix of cars. Yeah, it is. But at this point, he says his budget for just a fun car would be about $15,000 if he only sold the Miata. He could probably double it if he sold his three and the Honda monkey he owns. <laughs> so his, okay. the, the, the Honda that he really ought to get rid of, the three that is old, and the Miata, we could maybe get thirty grand out of this equation. And, and if we could wa- wind up with both fun car and usable car, then he's got one daily. He said a rear seat isn't needed, but he does have a small dog that he put in the car. The one thing that is required is a manual transmission. He's out in Pennsylvania. He only has about a 15-mile commute, so gas mileage isn't a must to worry about, but he don't, doesn't want something to hurt him when he fills it up. <laughs> His girlfriend has a 2020 Sonata Hybrid that they would use on longer drives. Okay. Fair enough. Good. Now, he knows there's the Elantra N coming next year. He's waiting to see what price it starts at because if it is in his budget, he'll make do with eating ramen noodles for a while. <laughs> His girlfriend's father works at a Hyundai Mazda Genesis dealership, so he could get a discount on any of those if they're new. Okay. Now, if he replaces both, he's okay with front-wheel drive, but if he's only replacing the Miata, he would like to stay with rear-wheel drive. Fair enough. He likes the idea of a used Stinger or a G70 if the prices fall by the time he's ready. A manual is a must, as you said, and his favorite brand has been Porsche for a while, so he's mm-hmm. toyed around with uh, a Cayman or a Boxster, those ideas. He's also thought about the C5 Corvette Z06, but when he sees the interior, it makes him want a C6. Of course, yeah. As the, it does anybody. Yeah, the C5 is, yeah, anyway. He's driven the 2020 Civic Si. He liked it, felt something was missing, and he couldn't really put his finger on it. And he's also driven the Mark 7 GTI and didn't enjoy it, besides having friends that have had horror stories about their Volkswagen products. So it says to me the GTI is out. Is there anything I'm missing? He's building his list of drive homework. Yes, there is something you're missing. It is called the Veloster N. Your girlfriend's father works at a Hyundai mm-hmm. dealership. Mm-hmm. Sell both cars. Get the front-wheel drive. Manual Veloster N, and we're done. The N, 30 grand. Boom. They're, 26, they're almost $27,000 slightly used right now. Mm-hmm. 
But sell both cars. But but the last sell one, them. the last one we had that was a press car loaded out was like right at thirty on the money. On the money, sell both cars. Veloster N, I, usable, manual, front wheel drive, turbo, delicious. I can't imagine that the Elantra N is going to in any way supersede the Veloster N. No, as a car no. to drive. So I think the Veloster N. I, I agree with that completely. I have uh, I have a couple other options I want to bring up. Um, You've got thirty grand. You're consolidate, consolidating your fleet. You'd like to have rear wheel drive and manual. I have Fair. to point out. No, no. But he Fair. said front wheel drive is acceptable. That, I think that I have the Veloster I mean, in on my list. If he sells both, if he yes. just sells them on, he wants the rear wheel drive. Yes, and I th- and I have the Veloster in on my list for the same reason you did. I completely agree I mean, that that solves done. the problem. Absolutely, yeah. it does. But Alex, you did that thing that I have to always go rewind and re-read something back to you. You said, um, my favorite brand, I'm quoting, my favorite brand has been Porsche for a while. So I've played with the idea of a Cayman or a Boxster. And then you go on with your email. <laughs> You're I, right. I mean, look, You're right. I'm not Porsche <laughs> guy, but I mean, there's the sentence right there. You, you would like yeah, fun to yeah. drive, worthwhile, won't get gapped at a stoplight. Uh, wouldn't it be cool if this had a good manual transmission? What's something I'm going to like? You're, you're upgrading in life. Yeah. Go get yourself a Cayman or a Boxster. I, I'm confused <laughs> as to why we're continuing. I'm, True. It, Especially for, since his girlfriend's car is the, the road trip car. Exactly. It right. doesn't need to be exactly the, the right. long distance car. Totally. And, and yeah. So <laughs> you're right. I yeah, have to come back right. to that exact sense. I'm like, well, I, if I need to give you permission, Alex, this is me giving you permission. <laughs> Alex, you should go get a Porsche. <laughs> Okay, I, I, if I need to help Funny. there, buddy, I'm happy to help you. Uh, so I, because you've always wanted one, I think that might be your answer because you don't have to have this car do all these other things. True, true. So I, I like the Veloster in a lot. I think the Veloster in checks every single box here. But you say you want a Boxster or a Cayman. Go shop Boxster or Cayman. <laughs> if for some right. reason you wrong. need an alt to the Boxster or Cayman because you just want to feel like you, you, you shopped around, I have one for you. Okay. BMW Z4 M Coupe. Tasty. That Tasty. is the great E46, the, the superlative, superlative edition of the M3. That engine in the car I have with the hydraulic steering from that M3 as well, yeah. in coupe form, they're out there. They're in your budget. If you need a alt to the Cayman Boxster, I think that's the car you drive. But I think you just need a Cayman or Boxster. <laughs> You've said it for yourself. He wrote the sentence. You're right. But if there's that maintenance thing that worries you or you don't want to get into mm-hmm. the German car thing sure. quite yet, fine. Definitely understand that. DriveShare is the coolest online car sharing platform around. It's simple. By connecting car owners with renters, DriveShare unlocks the joy of driving. That way, renters can find cars that bring out the awesome at every moment, and owners can earn extra cash to fund their passion. That's why I posted my car. To sign up, cruise over to DriveShare.com or download their app for iOS or Android. That's DriveShare.com. Carl Uh-oh. Schultz writes to us with a podcast question here. His Minister of Finance has given him the green light to replace their aging, shaky, terrible Mazda 5 okay. with an aging, hopefully not shaky and terrible Porsche Cayenne. Mm. Is it worth the gamble? We don't quite know your budget. This is a very mini car debate. Yeah, yeah. It already seems like you're over the Mazda 5. If you're already thinking about selling mm-hmm. it and you're looking at Cayennes, well, we're here to give you that little nudge. For sure. We're going to push you off the cliff because depending on your budget, you might get a great one. And you've heard of Todd's maintenance yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't been a horror show. Not at all. It's been 
great. Mm-hmm. It still runs. Mm-hmm. It's still your wife's favorite car to drive. Yes. She, yes. She's getting in all of these press cars that we have. She gets in all of them. We keep talking about options. Okay. So we get a press car and she and I'll go out and we'll, we'll be in a press car. We'll talk about it. And every time she gets back in her car and she's like, you know, this is still really great. Yeah. That car's 10 years old. It's like 11 years old now. Yeah. It's got 140 something thousand miles on it. We've had some maintenance, but we haven't had anything catastrophic. And it runs and it's great. But it's crisp and tight and it drives well. So that it's not is shaky and terrible it, no, with it, those kind of miles. That is very true. It, it all still feels very robust and very well screwed together. Now, I will say this. We don't have, we have the base one. Okay. Be careful. The higher up in the food chain you buy, the more stuff there is that can break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in general, broad strokes now, in general, the Cayenne is known to run. In, in trims short of like the big turbo S's, especially the early turbo S's or the really early ones, any of the ones right. before like 06. Right. Yeah, it's frightening. But the really, the monster <laughs> ones, that, there's a reason. The They're monster cheap. ones are known to have issues because they've got so much tech and, and it was early stuff and that kind of thing. So if you're shopping, I would say uh, GTS or below, that's the middle of the lineup, GTS, S, or base. I think this is a decent gamble. Watch Agreed. the maintenance, but typically it's, that's pretty good too. Greed. Avi Ram has something that really bothers him. He says, Paul, it must bother me too. Uh, the Acura TLX door handles are not lined up on the same plane. One is pointing up in the rear and the other is perpendicular to the ground. It looks like the designers got too creative or were trying too hard. What mm. do I think? Yeah, absolutely. Door handles should be uniform because that's what your eye looks for. On the Mustang Mach-E, they're not uniform. On other cars... They're mm-hmm. not. They're mm-hmm. the rear doors are hidden in that C pillar, you know, blacked out, that kind of thing. So little designer tricks to clean the surface up because you're right, designers hate door handles. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see these big ugly things in the middle of their beautiful crisp character line. Yeah. And yeah. look at that form and the highlight, and then you had to stick a door handle right in the middle of it. Junk. But the problem is the engineers might have told the the design team, this is where the latch needs to go due Mm -hmm. to manufacturing processes Mm -hmm. and due Mm -hmm. to safety. This is where we have to put the latch. Okay. Okay. You know, work around that with the door handle and, you know, maybe it's a little bit above or below, but if they're not beautifully designed, there's no excuse Mm. because they are a prominent feature and will always be a big, ugly wart on the side of cars. So integrate them and make them beautiful and make them line up. Don't put them on different planes. I see that on Lexus products. I've seen that on Camrys and all kinds of weirdness going, no, that you're right. There's some battles that were lost behind the scenes, but aesthetics are very important for those door handles to line up. Travels with George J on Instagram asks a question that I pondered for a minute, but I think I have an answer. Okay. He knows how much we love white cars. Right. So he asks mm-hmm. this question. Can we name one car that we think looks good in white? And I have one that I can think of mm. that my favorite color on it is white. I think I know. The BMW i8. I'm totally wrong. When it was first introduced and when they first had it, and you can look this up, it was white. And that has a lot of negative black space in it anyway. So it's kind of like a stormtrooper. But So it was white. And then you had all the, the negative black space. It was black on any color. And then it had little blue highlights in places. Yeah. I have never seen that car look better than that paint setup. The white with a little blue accents, the original way they dropped that car. Sure. Every time I see one of those, I'm like, that's the way that car looks best. It's because the high contrast, black and white, literally on and a it, car. And it looks 
that one wins for sure. Every okay, I've, I'll give that I've, to you. And there's I've seen a lot of graphical breakup. I've seen it in colors too, and I like it in colors because, of course, I like all cars in colors. But every time I see a white one with little accents, I'm like, done. That's it. Mm. I'll give that to you, but yeah, he was asking. I, I tried right. to find one. Ian Carey says when he's getting a first sports car, should he focus on dynamics or power? He's never had a powerful vehicle before, and while he really wants the experience of a well-balanced and good-handling car, he also wants to be thrown back when he pushes down on the pedal hard. Is there one he should focus on more than the other? Mm. Yes, dynamics all day long, all the time, dynamics. Because I want you to understand corners and Mm. lust for corners, because it just seems so easy when you're on a track, the guys with the high horsepower cars, yeah, they can put it down, but they tiptoe and they block everybody when it comes to a corner. They don't really know what they're doing. I'm making a broad general assumption. It doesn't apply to everybody. But it just seems like anybody can just put the power down. You can just stomp the gas pedal. But when it comes to the nuances of the car and understanding the weight and balance of your car, I think that's far more important. You can always add power later. You can always get yeah. a car with more power. Mm-hmm. But if you already come into that powerful car, understanding dynamics, you're better off for it. It's a driver upgrade. With a car with dynamics without a lot of power, you learn how yes. to be a better driver. And then you're right. When you step up, you're that much better as a result, which is great. Kyle F, uh, Kyle JF90 says, how do I choose a watch to wear on a given day? <laughs> Is it whatever strikes me in the morning at the activity I'll be doing? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, if we're doing a shoot and I don't want to wear a good watch, you know, a nice watch, I'll wear a Casio G-Shock. But mainly, it's because I don't have a watch winder. And so whatever watch is still running. Oh, that is funny. I didn't even know. That is really funny. Okay, that's very good. It's sort of like whatever is clean in your closet. You know, I guess I'm wearing that because it's clean. But it's (laughs) a little bit of the similar, you know, an automatic watch just continues to run overnight or over the weekend when you take it off your wrist. So I don't have a watch winder because I find it so contrived and out there. But whatever, (laughs) maybe one day. But, you know, hey, it's still still ticking. I'll put that one on. (laughs) Matthew Immons asks about storing a car for 10 months. He said he stored it last year for about six months with a car cover, but it was just standard car cover. And he's wondering, should he cover it? Should he not cover it? How does he make it stay? How does he cover it? Look, I'm sorry, but this is low-hanging fruit. That's why I'm picking it. You have to buy one for that car. Mm -hmm. If you're parking this outside, go to Covercraft, buy one for that car. I know they are not cheap. You can get a discount with the Everyday 21 code, but get one that properly fits the car. I will also recommend this to you because I've had a few covers from them, and this is the thing I've found because my house specifically gets a ton of wind. I get three or four times more wind than Paul does. Buy yeah. the heavy-duty, yeah, almost seems like canvas. Buy the heavy-duty one, it will stay rock-solid short of a hurricane. I mean, you can still <laughs> yeah. tie them to the car, and they give you that yeah. ability. But I'm saying without that, it just sits there and goes, yeah, and? So you got to get yourself a decent cover. So definitely do that if you're going to park a car long-term outside, and that's your concern. Many, many other questions. Um, I have one that's almost a, almost a topic Tuesday, but I'm going to cover it in a minute. Real quickly, though, I want to talk about uh, Nora Borealis03 says, I've had my Elise on drive share for a bit. Mm, yeah. How's that been? He's basically asking. Yeah. Look, that car doesn't get rented often, but it's been rented a few times. And what's been cool is every single person that's rented it has loved it. I actually happened to have two renters in one week this summer, which is crazy. I had one guy, I hate that this happened, but it was true. I had one guy that tried to rent it for father's day, but he contacted me at like seven o'clock at night, the night before father's day 
was like, can I have this car tomorrow? And I was like, I, I have plans. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Gotta give me a little notice. bit of notice. I could have helped you out yeah. there, man. But honestly, it's, it's been good. The thing I like about the drive share thing so much, unlike a Turo, is that uh, owner has right of last refusal. I can be at the last minute and be like, you know what? I'm not comfortable. But also, I can go on, and they encourage this. I can go on a little test drive so somebody's about to rent the car. And I, and I do this. I get them in the car, and I have them drive. And by them driving, I realize all the things I need to point out. I'm making a little list of like, oh, well, you know what? Keep this in mind and keep this in mind. And that just gives people a better day. Mm-hmm. The Lotus has performed really, really well. Everybody that's driven it has loved it, which has been really cool. YM Shulman has a tire question. Assuming tire grip, is the same forward and backward and side to side. Why does it feel like you can accelerate or brake a lot harder than you can go around a corner? Shouldn't the tires be able to sustain the same G-forces in either direction? Well, you can't assume that because that tire grip in a forward and aft motion is the static loaded radi- uh, radius of a car. That's the, the weight of a car on the tire. Mm. I mean, you can load a tire far heavier in the downward direction, either accelerating or mm. braking mm. hard it can take far more force. This is a bad example, but imagine a soda can. You can stand on that empty can with no soda in it. You can almost balance correctly and put your full body weight on the can, but as soon as you poke the side, everything collapses. Mm. But that sidewall, that rolls under. That's not meant to take the same kind of forces. It simply yeah, can't. There's yeah. not enough material. I mean, you're, you're putting the entire weight of the car on the wheel in that forward or backwards direction. Mm-hmm. So here's this question from uh, Stone Stalwart, and he's using the 86, the new 86 as an example, but it gets into a larger discussion, and, and I, I want to talk about this quickly if I can. He said that he's disappointed already in the new 86. Now, you and I can't discuss how it is to drive. No. But he's discussing it on things everyone knows, and that is the new engine is not a turbo. Okay, and correct. And he's saying... Yes. Why on earth didn't Toyota do the, this is, I'm quoting here, the one thing everyone asked for, and that was a turbo. Read. I'm going to bring us to a halt right there. Everyone asked for this car to be turbo? I did. You did. I did not. Mm-hmm. The thing we all asked for across the board, and I do mean everyone now, because Toyota did a lot of focus group testing for second gen. Yes, That's something did. I can share with you. They actually dug in and went, what do people like? What do people not like? What do we need to solve? We all agreed that there should be something done with the base engine of the first car. You said turbo, Paul. Stone Stalwart says turbo, but he goes further. He says, honestly, I won't even test drive it because it doesn't have a turbo. Everything he's owned is has turbos. He loves turbos. If it doesn't have a turbo, it's, it's irrelevant. Hmm. This is what I want to drill down on. Okay. Because what I suspect, I don't know. You haven't told us. You've told us you've had multiple turbos. I suspect you've never driven a good non-turbo car. Maybe, because but maybe not. the yeah. problem with a lot of the little turbo vehicles right now, or the good thing, if you will, the, the weird thing is, if you have the non-turbo version of those cars, they're catastrophically boring. All the little SUVs, all the little hatchbacks. If you get into a base model that does not have a turbo, you're trying to figure out where the engine went, and it's easy to conclude naturally aspirated cars are terrible. Okay. Okay. If you if, if you if you're driving take small, that course, sure. If you're driving small engine cars, they have to be turbo. There's nothing otherwise. It's like why why do people like naturally aspirated? I see that track. I totally do. Okay. All right. But here's the flip side. The interesting thing about a naturally aspirated car is there is nuance to the throttle pedal that no turbo has come close to duplicating. 
the turbo's got to be balanced. I mean, you go back to the 90s and it was like nothing, 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 turbo. That's been solved. Yeah. But there's little nuance where this RPM at 3,000 is different than four and different than five. And you can, if you're driving a car hard or you want to like move the body weight, you can do it in a naturally aspirated car with tiny movements of the gas pedal that a turbo car won't feel different. There's, there's some driver involvement there. And I, I'm getting down into the weeds, but it's driver involvement, honestly, along the same lines of a really good manual transmission. Mm-hmm. You as a driver can can change the attitude of a car better in a naturally aspirated car. It doesn't have sudden turbo swath of power in the middle. Really good V8s, naturally aspirated, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You don't get in that car and go, I, I wish this was a turbo. <laughs> you go, let's drive that again. Okay, the 86 has something special by not being turbo, and I'm thrilled they didn't. Now, first off, it keeps it separated from the two-liter turbo in the Supra. If they put that same engine in there, they'd just be eating themselves, essentially. But it also allows that car to stay raw and involved, and I I encourage you, Stone Stalwart, to drive some really, really good, naturally aspirated cars and find out what's great about them. You still love turbos? Cool, but there's a place for naturally aspirated. Damon Patton has a question that's been bothering him for the past mm. year or so with car reviews in general. Why do journalists keep mentioning numb steering? Says almost all new car steering is numb. Isn't that just par for the course now? Hence his confusion on why it keeps getting brought up. He gets mentioning when a car has good steering feel, but journalists constantly bringing up numb steering on new cars seems like beating a dead horse to him. Mm. What are our thoughts? Well, that is journalists getting in so many cars, but wanting that driving experience and wanting to remind those manufacturers that driving is inherently fun. Yes. And having a good feel of what the car is doing really makes the car engaging. Mm -hmm. It's not the styling. It's not the tech. It's not just loads more screens. It's what is the car doing for me? I want to be involved in the driving experience. And as journalists get farther into their careers... That's all they're looking for because Mm, it's mm. almost like everything there's this weird thing. Everything the car buying public is looking for is not what journalists are looking for. We have to (laughs) remind ourselves that I'm not looking at how many cup holders it has or if it has rear seat vents. Mm -hmm. Those are nice. And we'll talk about them and cover them. Like, isn't that, but that might be way more important to buyers. Sometimes it is you and I or to any other journalist. It's almost like all the stuff that kind of matters to buyers disappears power windows. Hey, look, it's got a seatbelt extension arm that hands me my seatbelt. Hey, look, it's got a big screen with easy to read graphics and an easy to understand interface. Wow. The air conditioning's really cold. Look, you know, all these mm-hmm, little tiny mm-hmm. things, the seats feel really good. It really comes down to, do I like how the car drives? Because driving is fun. Mm-hmm. That's what journalists are continually paring down their careers and their everything they're looking for in a car. It's what we've done, but we hope to never get jaded about a car. I hope to always appreciate little cool little things and be like, yeah, you know what? That little feature is useful and cool for buyers. Thanks car company for thinking of that. Yeah. 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 But it's always about what is the car doing for me from an excitement standpoint, not Mm -hmm. tech, not power, nothing. Is it, is it fun? Do I like being here? Yes. You have to spend a lot of money on this. Is it fun to drive? I like this. I'll go another route here, damn it, Patton, and that is this. Ponder this for a second. When journalists in mass complain about something, it often changes. I'll give you a great example. CVTs 
ubiquitous plague that came upon us in the early 2000s. Yes. And journalists in mass have said, what is going on with this transmission? Now, some of the consumers have said it as well, but journalists in mass have said it. And we're watching some car makers remove them, not across the board, but Nissan in their re- resurgence right now is taking some models and not giving them a CVT again. You're right. Some of them still yeah. have it, but other ones are going with real automatics, better automatics. This happened with Honda and the Civic Type R, the, the Civic in general, the Civic Type R, and a volume knob. Yeah. One year it didn't have it, the next year it did. Now, I'm not saying that we at Everyday Driver are the cause, but I am saying when in mass journalists say something, car makers tend to listen. And the thing I think is interesting, and I hope this continues, honestly, we've had the shift from hydraulic steering to electronic steering assist. Right. Okay? right. That has numbed the steering field. But manufacturers like it because it allows them to do lane assist and this, all this other stuff. Okay? Exactly. Now, it would be very easy for all of us to just be like, well, I guess it's what this is doing now, and just accept the fact that there's no feel. Mm-hmm. The only yes. way there's going to be feel is if we complain about it. And the manufacturers go... This is something that still matters to people because they've done it to reach, I mean, all these kind of things, to reach the ability to do this safety feature and that. That's why they did it. For the cars to control themselves, and it's an easy, cheap install, too. Oh, look, too. we got an extra mile per gallon by doing it. This yeah. is why they did it. Yeah. Okay? But if we say this isn't good enough, enough times, mm-hmm. it can come back around. If we in mass just went, well, I guess that's lost, Right. then there's no right. reason to fix it. Yeah, agreed. Well, manufacturers consult with their buyers too. Mm-hmm. They consult with their dealers because dealers are hearing from their buyers. They either did or did not buy the car for insert the reason yes. here. Yes. But the journalists, because everybody's driving so many things, all these journalists are driving so many cars, mm-hmm. and it distills that purity of what everybody's looking for. And it does create consensus among. Well, that's a stupid feature. I don't like that. And many, you know, if enough journalists notice it, mm-hmm. because it's not always the consumer that can distill their thoughts into why they like or dislike a car. True, true. Sometimes. Yeah. But this is what journalists are constantly thinking about. The consumer mm-hmm. is going, well, I don't like it because oh, I don't know. I, I, mm-hmm. Not really sure, but it just doesn't fit my lifestyle. Or I guess I don't like the styling. It just, there's something about it I don't really like. Journalists can be like, look. I know the component that's causing this to feel that way. <laughs> Why is this Change annoying that component, me? Yeah. And you guys are doing it because it's cheap to install in the factory. Yeah. That's why we're constantly harping on that because yeah, the car should be good to drive. And, and, and I know, look, I know we can keep beating on this. I know that there is a segment of the car buying populace that it doesn't need to have steering feel. doesn't need to have decent acceleration. doesn't need to have anything but good cup holders and safety and keep me in my lane. That exists. But for those of us that love driving, I would love to think that if we keep the targets on the board, and the journalists kind of have to keep the targets on the board, not not just say, well, to journalist, to the non-journalist, you know what, guys, we just got to accept it. Steering feels gone, and that's fine. If we all said <laughs> that, where we're at, yeah. should we? We kind of got we got to stick up for ourselves, <laughs> right? Nathaniel G asks if we'd ever consider doing a truck comparison with the big three, not off-road and not around town, but hook up a trailer, mm. haul it up some mountains. Go change some barbed wire on a ranch. Pull out some stumps. Load up the bed with stuff that your friends need moved. Okay. We'd consider it, but every time we imagine a comparison like this, it's like an off-road comparison. The truck either did or did not do the thing we assigned it to do. Mm -hmm. And truck manufacturers are way down in the weeds of, well, I can, you know, more gross vehicle weight rating. 
with by 200 pounds. Are people really going to max it out? Are you pulling an Airstream trailer with seven of your friends in the SUV? Maybe, but is that most buyers mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time? Not necessarily. And so the things that we would throw at it, well, it would be on or off, very black and white, very linear. Well, it did it or it didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're more recreating a brochure for those truck companies to say, yeah, we're, we're not trying to find the, well, they said this number, we're going to go after that number and prove them right or wrong. Mm. In a piece like that, I wonder if anybody watches that but the most extreme truck-interested truck buyer. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I would rather, like we did in Atlanta, I would rather drive a pickup through the city. Why? Because in the South, you just use it for everything and you commute every day. I feel like that is a much more universal discussion than, look what it towed. Okay, it towed that, but again, to your point, it looks like the brochure, and how many people are going to do that? They're going to go through Starbucks. Yeah, they are. And I want to talk about a sports car on a back road because I'm hoping you're going to go to a back road, and that's accessible. But how many people are going to tow a monster boat that says wide load on the back? I don't know. I mean, this is an interesting thing. Plus, I also think that that area is even more niche than you and I are, Mm. and there are people that do it at a very high level. So it's one of those things where if we walk in and do it at half that level, have we done it right? There's that question too. You're right. Nathaniel, there's the other part of this, and that is with the forthcoming electric pickup trucks. Mm. Because there's going to be capabilities for those trucks that current pickup trucks don't have mm. that'll make it intriguing, usefulness that you know we didn't see coming from a charging capacity to mm. different load capacities and storage, those kinds of things. That's really interesting to you know, where pickup trucks going and let's not do all the standard testing, I guess, because I, I agree. I can see that, you know, we did this thing and it's more just entertainment and you recreated the brochure rather than, did we really do the thing? Did we really test the thing? Okay. And it did it. Great. (laughs) I'm going home now. I mean, (laughs) it's the same reason that we don't get a hot sports car and really hold the manufacturer to their published zero to 60 time. Mm -hmm. It's slightly slower. And I love it. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> That's good. Or, or That's good. it's even faster and it has more horsepower than published. Great. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Bonus. Yeah. That's very funny. I like it. I've got two really quick ones that, that tie to each other. One is Chase Duncan and what is the other one is Alex Vando. You're both talking about small, light, cheap cars, which actually came up already in these car debates tonight. So I want to talk about this real quick. Chase says, if I live in a place that's completely flat and the roads are a grid... Would I have any fun owning something like a Miata or 86? I'm going to say yes, for the same reasons we talked earlier in this podcast, because lightweight is involving. Yeah. So yeah. I think even if you if you don't don't tie yourself to, I have to own this car for the next six or eight years, get one and have it for six months or you just plan, I'm going to have this car for a year and just see. I think you would enjoy having something lightweight because I think it is so different than what most people drive. If you get into something that's a Miata or 86, it's below 3,000 pounds, and all you've ever driven has been 3,500 to 4,000 pounds, that's going to feel very different, even going in a straight line and just doing changes on the freeway and interchanges. So I think that that matters. Alec Vando says he's had a convertible for a while. He's looking at the new 86. How much would he hate not having a convertible if he gave it up? Alex, only you can answer that because how much... Do you use your convertible top? If you're one of those people, and I know they're out there, I bought a convertible. The top went down the day I bought it. It'll go up the day I sell it to prove that it still goes up. (laughs) If you're that person, please don't buy a hard top car. 
Right. If you're one of those people that you put it down a couple times a year when the weather's perfect, you'll be a little bummed that you can only roll your windows down on those two, three times a year. But the rest of the time, open yourself up to something else. Don't forget about our cheap sports car raffle. It is now available for the next four weeks after this podcast recording. And also the Utah meetup for 2021. Go to our website, everydaydriver.com. You can find all the information about both of those on there. And as always, we really thank you for your engagement, your social media, and yeah. send your car debates, your topic Tuesdays, and your car conclusions to everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys and look forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.